like to take you to kind of an obscure passage tonight as I was um, seeking the Lord this week and asking him to show me what to teach tonight. He led me to Second Chronicles chapter 18, and I questioned him a little bit about that because it's such an odd passage. Um, and, and, of course, he showed me that I was wrong, <laughs> which is always good. But Second um, Chronicles 18, kind of a kind of obscure passage, kind of a challenging passage, um, but it illustrates a really important point that I believe we need to hear tonight, and uh, I didn't really know how it was going to line up with this morning, but as I started to study for this morning, I realized that they matched up, because this is not only about uh, prayer, but it's about our receptivity to the Holy Spirit when He speaks to us. As a believer, we have two main sources for hearing from the Lord. One, obviously, is what's in our hand. It's the Word. And He wrote that for us, and He gave it to us, not only to teach us and to train us and to correct us and to reprove us and to encourage us, but also to give us greater insight into His character and His ways. So the main revelation that we have, the one that is more tangible and more obvious, uh, that fits into our way of thinking a little bit more, is the Word of God. The other one is His Holy Spirit. And the Spirit not only instructs us and guides us through the word he inspired, but he can also speak to us through our hearts and our minds and through other people. Now, when we study the word of God, and we are looking at this in our Bible study methods class, um, we have to take plenty of time to carefully observe the text. And we do that so we can accurately, uh, accurately understand what we're calling the Spirit's intent. What did he mean when he wrote it? Not just what our bias is or what we think it means or what we want it to mean, but what he actually is saying. And it's only when we can correctly understand what he is saying that we can have effective and meaningful application in our lives. So we have to study it in depth and we have to study it carefully so we can learn to recognize what he's telling us. In the same way that we study his word, we also have to learn how to hear from the Lord. And when the Spirit directly communicates to us, uh, that's a little bit more delicate, and we have to proceed a little bit more carefully with that because it's very easy to be tricked by the enemy, even as long-term believers. Some of you have been saved as long as I have, over 35 years. But it's still easy um, sometimes for the enemy to manipulate Scripture because we know he does that, and we know he accuses and he lies and he, and he, uh, and he alters things. I mean, if he can... Uh, lie to Jesus and alter scripture to try to tempt Jesus, he certainly is not intimidated by me, right? So he is going to, to work it in a way to try to, to confuse us. And the problem with that is, as we hear from the Lord, and I want you to really stay with me because this could be confusing tonight. As we hear from the Lord, we also have to be careful that our pride doesn't creep in so that we start to say, I have a special word from the Lord. Now, you and I have probably used the phrases, the Lord told me this, or God gave me a message, and that certainly happens. But we have to be extremely careful when we say that, that we have actually heard from him, and that we're not doing anything that would draw attention to ourselves. We can almost always tell that a word from the Lord is a word from the Lord because it's either a warning or an encouragement to somebody else, and it doesn't draw attention to us. We can pretty much tell that it's not a word from the Lord if we're getting attention. If we're getting some sort of a claim or some sort of credit, whatever the case may be, or we're looking for that credit, and it's very subtle, 
then we're pretty sure that that's not a word from the Lord because we all know, right, that the Lord doesn't want things that are going to draw attention to us. He wants things that are going to draw attention to him. So when he gives us a word, it is something that deflects away from us. So we have to learn to understand when the Lord is speaking to us. And we do that by carefully studying his word, and we do it by correctly discerning what the Spirit's impressing upon our hearts. Now, all that to be said as an introduction. That leads us to the prime example of this in Second Chronicles 18. And what's striking about this text, and we're just going to kind of go through it quickly tonight, is that the people who are at the center of this text ask for the word of the Lord. They know when they're not getting the word of the Lord. They know when they are getting the word of the Lord. And with all that, they still ignore it. They say, I want to hear from the Lord. When somebody says, this is from the Lord, they say, no, that's not right. And then when the prophet speaks and says, this is the word of the Lord, they say, oh, yeah, that's the word of the Lord. And they say, we don't want to do that. It's very sad and very tragic how this plays out. And I can't imagine that there's anything that grieves the heart of the Lord more outside of people rejecting Jesus Christ than for him to be ignored. I mean, how much do you love that as a parent? You speak to your kids and you say something and they don't respond the first three times that you say it because they're engrossed in the TV, iPod, uh, laptop, computer, video game, whatever it is, or they have headphones on and they're so small now that you can't even see them except now they're wearing the big ones. So that's a gift to us parents, right? Now they're wearing these big monster headphones. You're like, now I know you're not listening to me because you have those on your head. But you say something to your kids and they just, they don't listen or they ignore you. Or you're yelling at the bottom of the stairs. Not that I speak from experience here. You're yelling at the bottom of the stairs and the door's closed and the music's on. And you're yelling at the top of your lungs and they still can't hear you. That's aggravating, right? Anybody else aggravated by that? It's, it's not fun to be ignored. And when you feel like it's intentional, then you feel a little bit disrespected. Like, why aren't you listening to me? And I know for me, it's only just begun because my kids are just entering teens. But think about how it feels to the Lord. Think about what he feels when we don't listen. Not, not when we don't understand, but when he says something to us, either by his word or by his spirit, and we either intentionally avoid it or we disobey it. Now, that's what happens here in the text. We've got two kings, chapter 18, Second Chronicles, who are stumbling and bumbling all over themselves. They want approval of their plans from the Lord, but when they receive another message altogether that contradicts their plans, they say, we don't want to do that, and they press forward with what they want to do. Even though God's incredibly gracious and says, I'm trying to warn you, I'm trying to instruct you, you asked me, I'm telling you, here's what's right, but, but they're selfish and they're obstinate and they're stubborn and they resist him. Now, there's a spiritual principle there that I, that I want to develop tonight. But let me just give you the setting real quick because this is kind of a long text and we're just going to read about 15, 20 verses out of this. So let me just give you the background. This is kind of in verses uh, 1 to 6 here. You've got the king of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat marries into the family of the king of Israel, who is Ahab. Ahab, we know, is evil, and he opposed Elijah's ministry back in 1 Kings 17 and 18. 
Now, Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, Judah and Israel are divided at this point. They're separated. They're usually kind of at odds. So Jehoshaphat says to himself, I'm going to make a strategic move. I'm going to marry into Ahab's family. And what that will do is will protect Judah and it will strengthen. We'll have kind of this strange alliance together, even though we don't really like each other. And, and, and this will help me. Now, as Jehoshaphat and Ahab get together and have a little party and drink some wine or whatever the case may be, they come up with the brilliant idea, let's go attack Ramoth-Gilead. Now, Ramoth-Gilead is a city east of the Jordan River on the other side, and, and it's usually occupied by the Arameans. Okay, a lot of things you didn't expect to hear tonight, Ramoth-Gilead and the Arameans. What does that mean to me? Well, they decide... That, that they should join forces and take this land back because the Arameans are in it. Uh, Ahab says, let's go forward. Jehoshaphat says, wait a second. Let's, let's ask the Lord if he approves of this. Because at this point, if you look back at chapter 17, verse 6, at this point, Jehoshaphat is still living for the Lord. He's still seeking the Lord. It says in the previous chapter that he took pride in the ways of the Lord. That's a good thing. He, he loved the Lord and he wanted to do the right thing. And he had removed the false gods and the places of idolatry. So, so he's doing the right thing. So he says, we need to seek the Lord and ask for his help. Now, as he's doing that, Ahab says, all right, fine. We'll ask God what he wants. So he gathers his little minions of prophets and he says, you guys come in and tell us what we're supposed to do. And they say, oh, yes, Ahab, it's wonderful. God's totally supportive of this. You absolutely should do it. But Jehoshaphat has a little bit of the spiritual discernment. He says, wait a second. These guys, no. Don't you have anybody around here that, that actually is hearing from the Lord, that, that actually is a real prophet of God? And Ahab says to him, with great reluctance and great frustration, well, there is one. Now, what a statement on the nature of Israel at this point that there's only one prophet that's speaking for God. And let's see what happens when the prophet of God comes in. Pick it up in verse 7. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. That's because Ahab is evil. His name is Micaiah, son of, Im, uh, excuse me, I can't see it, Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in the robes, and they're sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Zedekiah, the son of Chanah, made horns of iron for himself and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying this, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it to the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Hey, the, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king, so let your word be like one of them and speak favorably too. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that's what I'm going to say. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And he said, go up and succeed, for they'll be given into your hand. 
Verse 15 is fascinating. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? In other words, he knows that verse 14 is not the real word. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his home in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you? I told you he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me, only evil. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on the right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then the spirit came forward and stood before him and said, I'll entice him. And the Lord said, How? And he said, I'll go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, Go, you can entice him and prevail also, go and do so. Therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord's not spoken to me. Now this is a fascinating passage. And the Holy Spirit includes some details here that show the pathetic irony of man's attempts to be wise and how man gets clever and thinks that he can do things without the Lord and how quickly and completely that fails. Notice some of the details here because it's interesting. In verse 9, he says, Ahab and Jehoshaphat were arrayed in the royal robes. They're taking up this posture of being in charge. And then in verse 10, it says this false prophet Zedekiah grandstands and he takes these iron horns and says, oh, the Lord says, we're going to gore those Arameans. And then in verse 12, the messenger comes and says, hey, Micaiah, everybody else agrees. It's unanimous. Now, come on, we're calling on you, but you need to back us up. And then we see in verse 23 that when Micaiah says, no, I'm going to speak the word of the Lord, and he declares the word of the Lord, that Zedekiah comes up and smacks him in the face and says, How dare you do such a thing? He's so jealous and so out of fellowship. And then in verse 26, Ahab tosses Micaiah in jail. Now this is the nature of man's arrogance. This is how mankind thinks that we would still dare to oppose the Lord even though he's fully in control. They ask the Lord for direction, but they have absolutely no intention of following it. And it's painfully obvious that they knew better. Because look back at verse 12, when, when Micaiah initially says, oh, go ahead, you got victory. Ahab comes up to him and says, come on, you're not being straight with me. I know better. You, you never say anything good to me. So let's hear the real truth. Don't patronize me, Micaiah. Tell me what God actually said to you. Now, by saying that, he knows that victory is not his. And he knows that he hasn't really 
heard from the Lord, either from Micaiah or from the 400 prophets that he's got that are all saying, oh, yeah, do it, do it, do it. It'll be wonderful. Now, coming from a righteous king, you'd say, well, that makes sense. He's been seeking the Lord on his own, and he understands, he has discernment that that's not God's leading. But I want you to notice tonight that this is the most evil king that Israel ever had, and he knows that it's not the truth. Now, that tells us that even people who hate the Lord know the truth when they hear it. Ahab is not fooled. He wants to hear the word of the Lord. He actually says, give me the word of the Lord. But when it doesn't line up with what he wants to hear, he rejects it. The problem in the world tonight is that people know the truth. They have heard the word of God. They have heard about Jesus. But because it doesn't fit with their sin and what they want to do, they reject it. And we have to examine, even as believers, is that true of you and me tonight? How do we respond when God brings his conviction? God says, every time you're in temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, every time you're in temptation, I'll give you a door. I'll give you a way out. You don't have to ever submit to that temptation. You have a renewed mind. You have me inside you. You are now holy. You are set apart. You are sanctified. But the enemy is going to come and he's going to attack. So when he does, you have a door that I will give you to go out every single time. So the question is, when we're tempted, do we yield to it or do we walk out the door? When we're prompted to study God's word or to pray or to speak out about our faith or to defend someone or to draw near to someone and encourage them or or, or whatever the case may be, do we dismiss it and say, oh, I don't want to do that? Or do we say, yes, Lord, I will do that. See, even Ahab knew the truth. But when he hears it and when he's challenged about his plans and his control, he ignores it. We have to constantly fight the inclination to be stubborn. We have to constantly fight the inclination to be stubborn. When we hear the voice of the Lord, we are supposed to recognize it and obey it. But how often do we push back? I know many times in my own life that I have done that. And there are all kinds of reasons. Fear, misplaced priorities, selfishness, are are just simply hardness in our heart about God's leading. And verses 23 and 28 illustrate what happens when we resist the voice of the Lord. We look completely foolish and we reap the effects of not listening to the Lord. Now before we look at that, I'm going to watch my time here, look back at verses 18 to 22 because as we read, you may have had some questions about how this can be. We know that Scripture tells us that God never tempts us to do evil. And yet here we see that the holy God invites a deceiving spirit to go to Ahab and to try to fool him. Now somehow in the mystery of this passage, we see that all the host of heaven is on his right and on his left. I think that's an important detail because when you're at the right hand of God, it signals holiness. When you're at the left hand of God, it signals judgment. So do we assume at this point, I'm not going to answer the question, do we assume that the demons are on the left side and the angels are on the right side? We don't know. What we do know is that 
somehow in this context that God allows a deceiving spirit to go to Ahab. Now, I don't want to get too caught up in this tonight, but I think we've got to address it because we, we need to see what the Lord's teaching us. There are only two options here. Either this lying spirit is the devil and God is allowing the deception and spiritual attack to continue like he does with Job when the devil comes to God and says, hey, I looked at your guy Job. If you let me hit him a little bit, he's going to curse you. It's either that or the Lord actually sanctions this test. He knows that Ahab is determined to disobey. He knows that Ahab is determined to follow his own counsel, and yet he's going to give him the opportunity to turn back. Now, the first option is a lot easier theologically, so we're going to move past that one and go to the second one. Let's not forget that Ahab had promoted worship of Baal instead of worship of God. Let's not forget that he had killed many prophets of God. He had put out a hit on Elijah, who was really the only voice for God at that point, He was completely selfish. He was deeply sinful. So if anybody was susceptible to God's punishment, it was him. We also know that Ahab's heart was so hardened against God that he was never going to turn back. He was going to continue to reject the Lord. He delighted in wickedness. He loved standing against God. And his heart was never going to move away from evil. So we've got those two facts that God knows Ahab's heart's not going to change. God knows that he is not going to repent and we have to trust God that he knows what he's doing because he's sovereign. And then third, we have to understand that there are just some things that are a mystery to our understanding. There's some things we just can't fathom because we always have to remember that God is sovereign and he's holy and he's just and he never contradicts his character. So it's not an issue of him creating evil here. It's an issue of him permitting evil to have a place. How that happens, why that happens, I wish I could explain it to you, but I can't. But it is all tempered by one undeniable fact. Look at verse 16. The fact is that the Lord gave Ahab every opportunity to receive and follow the truth. He did not hide the truth from Ahab. He gave it to him straightforward, and he gave Ahab a chance to yield to it and to stop but Ahab stubbornly refuses. He asks for the truth, but when it's given, and when Micaiah says, these 400 prophets of yours are lying to you, I've been able to look into heaven, and I've seen this, and your prophets are wrong. Ahab knows that that's true. He knows that the prophets are lying. He knows that if he goes into battle, Israel's going to be defeated, and they're going to be scattered, and the Lord has given him a warning. But he does not follow it. He does not listen to it. In fact, he not only ignores the warning, he throws Micaiah in jail and he goes into battle and he's killed. Now God was testing to see whether he would listen. And how and why God does this, we got one more passage, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Why does God allow these tests? Why does God allow us to have times where we're confused and where we're under temptation and where we're trying to discern the voice of the Lord in the midst of all the noise? Well, I think Deuteronomy 13, we'll just look at this for a minute and we'll pray. 
I think this passage will help us. Because we need to understand tonight about having hearts and minds that listen to the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 13, 1-5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, okay, everything's good, concerning what he spoke to you, but then he says, let us go after other gods whom you've not known, and let us serve them. In other words, he prophesied, it came true, but then he says, now let's serve other gods. If that happens, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Look at the next phrase. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you will keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. Now this passage, and I know this is deep stuff for an April night, this passage tells us that there can be deception in front of us even from people who say, this is a word from the Lord, and even from people who say, I have insight into future events. But if the end result of that is that they say, now because that's come true, now because I've kind of proven myself, let's go follow other gods, then we are to know that that is not from the Lord. But here's the thing. Look back at verse 3. The Lord allows this. He allows it. He allows someone to come along and be a deceiver. Now we say, well, that seems weird because we know God wants us to be holy. Why would he introduce that? Why would he allow something that's confusing and that tempts us and that tests us to to be in our lives? And the answer is right there in verse 3. Because God is testing to see if you really love him. He wants to know if you really hear his voice, if you have the discernment to understand when the Spirit is speaking to you. God wants to know, do you really love me or is your heart divided? So you're going to hear things that, that sound like the Lord, but they're not really of the Lord because the end result is to drive you away from the Lord. And God is not adverse This is hard, but it's true. He's not adverse to testing our spiritual discernment to drive us to a deeper level of love. Now, that's hard stuff. But it explains why he allowed what he did in 2 Chronicles 18. He knows that Ahab is not going to obey. And yet, by his grace, he tests him anyway. He knows in his foreknowledge There is no way Ahab's going to turn. And as soon as he goes into battle, he's going to die because a marksman's going to pull back their bow and it's going to fly through the air and it's going to hit Ahab right between the joints of his armor and he's going to die. That's what happens at the end of the chapter. He knows that. So wouldn't God say, wow, this man is so evil. He's opposed me. He's put out a hit on my prophet and he's going to die in a couple hours. I'm letting him be. 
That's not what he does. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. If there's any doubt, God is gracious and compassionate. We know that this is true. I'll give you one more chance, Ahab. You know the truth. You know that your prophets are lying. You know that what Micaiah said initially is not really the word of the Lord. And you asked him, tell me. So I'm telling you, you go into battle, Israel's going to be scattered, and you're going to die. Now, what are you going to do? Ahab says, I'm going to do my own thing. God does the same thing for us. When he sees us straying, or he sees us in, in times where our heart is not aligned with him, he loves us so much that he says, I'm going to test it. I'm going to test it. I'm going to see what your discernment is because there's an irreparable connection between hearing and obedience. So I'm going to let you hear my word. I'm going to teach you something. How you respond is how I will know where your heart is. That's why we have to be able to hear and know his voice. That's why we've got to get the junk out of our hearts and minds because it clutters us from being able to hear the word of the Lord. David says in Psalm 95, when you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Don't be like our forefathers who were in the wilderness and they tested God. When God speaks, you do it. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This passage, 2 Chronicles 18, we're done, helps us understand that there are three distinguishing marks of God's voice. Let me give you this and we'll pray. God's voice never tells us to serve anyone other than him. God will never, ever, ever, ever say, serve another God, and that includes ourselves. He will never say, you're the most important thing. He will never say, listen to that person because they're popular, they're a celebrity. He will never say, put all your stock in that pastor. He will never say, hey, that's good, that kind of makes sense, that will help you fit into the world better. He will never tell us to serve anyone other than him. Second, the voice of the Lord always calls us to fear him and keep his commandments. He will never contradict himself. He will never tell us something that does not align with this word. Test everything by the word of God. If you can't adequately defend it, you can't defend it. And third, no matter what anybody says, God will always call us to really show our love for him. God will always say, prove your love. Show your love for me by how you live. Show your love for me by how you think. Show your love for me by how you interact with your family and your friends and in your workplace. Show that you love me. So here's the question. What voices are we following tonight? What voice are we listening to? Have we been listening to the wrong voices? Have we been filling our minds with the things that are calling us to disobey the Lord and causing us to wander from the Lord and to show a lack of love for him? Or are we listening to the voice of the Lord? We have the three distinguishing characteristics. We can hold up anything that we're being prompted to do against those three things. And when we hear the voice of the Lord, what's he calling us to do? Is he calling us to change something in our lifestyle? Is he calling us to, to finally put away sin? 
Is he calling us like we studied this morning to, to some kind of new responsibility, some, some new assignment? When we hear his voice, are we going to be like Ahab and say, well, I asked for it, but I don't really like what he said. Or are we going to say, yes, Lord, I will do that. I'll follow you and I will trust you that this is what I need to do. Let's pray together. Father, I pray tonight that we would be very sensitive to your voice. Lord, that our desire would be to seek your instruction and to seek what you would have us to do. Lord, it is without saying that there are so many conflicting messages all around us. There are so many people that present themselves as something that would seem to align with you, and yet, Lord, it doesn't. And Father, I pray for each of us tonight, myself included, that you would give us wisdom and discernment. You would give us a fresh sense of understanding of what is from you and what is not from you. Lord, I pray that we would align ourselves with you in every way, that we would resist those things that drive us away from you. Lord, help us with that tonight. Some of us are really struggling with that. That we would put aside the things of the old self. We put aside those things that will drive a wedge between your spirit and us. And Father, as we do that, Lord, that you would give us understanding. You're calling some of us to a new assignment. You're giving some of us an opportunity to be used of you in a new way. Lord, we don't know what that is yet. That's why we need to hear your voice. So Lord, may we seek it every day. Speak to us clearly, Father. You do through your word and you do by your spirit, but we don't always listen. So give us hearts that are ready to obey and ready to yield. And Father, we pray in these next few weeks, these next few months, that you would begin to do a mighty work in our lives and a mighty work in our church. That we would have discernment and sensitivity to what you would have us to do. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters tonight. I thank you for the opportunity we've had to come in your presence and to worship and to praise you and to exalt your name. You're the only one tonight in the whole universe that is worthy of any praise. So we praise you tonight. And we thank you that as we have prayed tonight, that you have listened and you have answered. Continue to work in our lives, Lord, and the things tonight that that maybe we haven't shared, that we're struggling with, that we're worried about, that we're sad about. Father, work in a powerful way. And Lord, we look forward to how you're going to use us. Father, bless this church, we pray. Bless the ministry of this church. Lord, we want to reach people for Christ. We want to build people up in their faith. Give us strength and endurance because we know the enemy is going to hit. So give us strength and wisdom. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've had tonight. Bless our going out as you've blessed our coming in. Give us a wonderful week of serving you and testifying of you and praising you and knowing your goodness. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, Amen. Amen.